Hey everybody, this is Jeff Fry for the Shigon Podcast. Welcome back. This is show number two. Today my guest is a guy who was my teammate for about a week and also my hitting coach for two and a half weeks at the very end of my career when I was running on fumes and uh, love this guy. This guy was an incredible player, had a great career, and he's an even better person. I'd like to welcome my friend, Gary Gaetti. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Fried Dog. I'm doing good. Thank you. And thank you for playing my walkout song there for the intro. <laughs> You're welcome. That, that reminds you of a bad uh, a, a yeah. bad time in your life? <laughs> I told you, hey, you, called, you caught me at a time where I said I was listening to one song. I didn't remind me of something bad in my life. And you interrupted it. So thank you. Now we're just so working golfing again. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We, you know, we were kind of playing phone tag and, and text tag, whatever you call it. And I know you've been uh, doing a lot of driving the last couple of days, going back and forth, 12, 13-hour days. And uh, I'm glad we uh, finally hooked up and got you on here. And I appreciate you taking the time, man. Me too. If it keeps going like this, I'm going to have to get my CDL. <laughs> <laughs> no, so what, tell, tell uh, the listeners a little bit about uh, what you've done. You're driving the last two days. Well, I end up. I started a baseball academy in my hometown of Centralia, Illinois. I live kind of. I live in Houston, just south of Houston, Sugarland. So, um, um, I just I go back and forth. I try to be there as much as I can. Now, the current economic situation has kind of messed me up a little bit. So, you know, if I take the whole family, I got to kind of drive instead of trying to fly. But um, let's go, Brandon. You know what I mean? There you go. There you go. go. Gas prices are. They're going down, man. They're getting close to three bucks again, you know, a little bit uh, different than it was a couple years ago. But uh, it may not seem relevant, but it's affecting a lot of families, especially families in baseball, too. You know, we just, you know, out of our academy, not that we just do personal training, but we also had our first season with travel teams. And um, I can see it being a factor coming up, whether that, you know, the parents are going to be able to, you know, be on travel teams and stuff with everything. But hopefully it'll work out. Right. So how long have you been in Sugarland now? Uh, I moved here in 2013. In 2012, I I took the job with the Skeeters uh, to manage the independent team down here. So been down here. And then when this academy thing kind of happened, it's kind of a miracle thing, but uh, ended up buying a house back up in my hometown and getting reacquainted and you know, just uh, getting that started. So it's been it's been quite an ordeal, but it's it's been really worth it. It's nice to be able to give back. And, you know, we talked about it before. I said I was shocked when I got into Little League Baseball with my grandson. I was like, somebody's going to have to teach these kids how to play ball, you know. And that's how it kind of all started, you know. And we're used to being at the pro level, but there's a, there's a big need down there at the, at the younger age, especially, you know, the little bitty guys. And, you know, what's funny is I don't really remember that. Um, when we were kids, because I remember my first year of, of organized baseball, I was eight years old. It was little league, you know, never did the, uh, T-ball stuff just right into to kid pitch. And we already knew how to play baseball. We didn't have, I mean, obviously there was little details and things like that, that the coaches helped us with, but for the most part, we knew how to play baseball already. It was well, just going out and playing with our buddies. That's the generation, you know, it's just, you know, we used to listen on the radio and watch the games and, you know, we we're fans of it. We didn't have phones. We, you know, we'd have to find our neighbors and our friends to play with and just go down to the local ball field and just start playing. But you're right. We didn't know how to play. And, and I think uh, something you just brought up that I think is one of the biggest problems is the stinking cell phones. These kids live on their phones. I know as adults, we we're just as guilty. Man, these kids at eight, seven, eight years old, they've already got cell phones. It's like, why does your kid need a phone? It's, uh, oh, well, I want to know uh, where they're at all the time. It's like, well, you brought him to school. You should know where he is. He doesn't need a cell phone to be looking at when he's in class. 
and, and I know this just seems like every year it gets younger and younger ages where their cell phones and these kids are just so distracted. It's a babysitter. It really is. I mean, well, but I mean, part of that goes with everything that's happening in society too, with, you know, both parents having to work and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of information that they shouldn't be getting on that phone too. And I think even in baseball, they're, they're hearing and seeing the wrong stuff and that you know, their focus is wrong. When they should be out there, instead of watching on their phone, whatever, whether it's a real game or whether it's, you know, like uh, somebody videotaping, they should be out in the yard playing wiffle ball, backwards ball, something. Yeah. Did you happen to see about a week, week and a half ago, there was a Major League Baseball game and a Pittsburgh Pirates game, and they just called yes. up this young uh, kid up, back up from the minor leagues, and uh, he slid into third base and the cell phone popped out of his pocket. Did you see that? I did see that. That's kind of embarrassing. Can you imagine what would, Tom Kelly would have done if uh, you or Dan Gladden or one, or one of you guys slid into third and your cell phone popped out of your pocket? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's pretty <laughs> fun. I'm glad, glad we didn't have him back then. If he couldn't tell you had your phone in your pocket, then you got a little problem there. Cause... I'm telling you, I know where my po- my phone is at all times. If it's in my pocket, it's heavier on one side. It, the 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 whole story about, oh, it was an accident. He didn't realize it was in his pocket. As I'm not buying that garbage. Well, you know what they're going to do? Used to, they have a secret pocket somewhere in the inside of your shirt. The coaches would, so they pack their lucky strikes in there. They're going to start putting the cell phone envelopes inside their jerseys or something. So. <laughs> I think they should do the arm things. Remember remember back <laughs> yeah. in the day when we had uh, the iPhones and, and or the no, the uh, the iPods. And you'd, you'd strap them to your arm when you're doing a workout or you're going for a run. And that way, you know, you'd have to Not, worry about it falling out of you know, your pocket. That's a great idea because now they can put it, uh, put the iPhone in their elbow guard. There you go. Huh? There you go. <laughs> I, I, I posted a video today. Uh, somebody sent me um, this 12 year old, and they actually, it was a perfect game deal. They, uh, put a microphone in this kid's ear, 12 years old, Gary. And he had an elbow guard. He had a shin guard. He had his face painted black. He looked like he was like uh, William Wallace. And um, he had, uh, oh, he had an oven mitt in his back pocket. And he was talking at home plate while he struck out and swung at four pitches over his head. (laughs) Oh, shoot. That's a lot. That's just, that's a lot. You know, and that's for television and hoping to get some insight there. But uh, that's that's a lot. It's, that you a get lot. a lot of likes on TikTok and Instagram for that. Of course. Yeah. So you uh, you were telling me that uh, you made a trip up to Minnesota. A couple. Uh, I know one of your teammates at least. I don't. Tovar. I think. Did you play with Tovar too, or just no? Play? No, but they had a his his son was there and his family was there. It was really nice. They have an annual Hall of Fame ceremony for guys, you know, that are inducted, you know, voted in, and they invite everybody who's in the Hall of Fame to come back and, and uh, you know, it's kind of like a reunion, and it's really, it's a pretty special time, you know, and I, I wasn't going to go this year just because everything that's happening with my academy, and we got, our family just keeps getting bigger and younger, <laughs> it's just a lot of stuff, but um, uh Dan Gladden was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he and I are actually, I don't even know how you describe it. I guess we were grandpas-in-law because uh, his daughter and my son got married, and then we got two grandkids together. So oh, there's wow. no way I could miss, I couldn't miss this one. I couldn't miss oh, it. It was a quick trip. But it's really neat to go back there, you know. And I was looking at the picture today, and, I mean, I'm sitting next to Tom Kelly. I'm sitting next to Rod Carew, Tony Oliva. You know, Jim Perry, Ken Herbeck, you know, a couple of the guys have passed away, Kirby, but you talk about a fun time to get together and talk baseball. I mean, it's really fun. It's really just an enjoyable time, you know. And those, I mean, you guys had some great teams and some – I was thinking about this today about some of those guys that uh, you just mentioned. And I think the, uh, the one thing that I think of when I think of those guys, you guys had a bunch of baseball players. A yep. bunch of gamers. Dan Gladden was a gamer. I remember when he first came up with the Giants, and this dude had like long hair. He was a little dude. He choked up. He was 
on top of the plate. He'd take you out on a double play. It seemed like he did everything right on a baseball field. And I know you're that same type of player. And Kent Herbeck was that type. And so was Kirby and Shane Mack. Um, you just had a bunch of gamers. And you guys, I know when you guys took the field, man, you guys thought you were going to win every night. And I know as as an, a, a guy used to come into the Metrodome and play you guys, we knew we had to be on top of our game to compete with you guys. And when that freaking announcer came out and started doing all y'all's names, Kirby, Puckett, and get her back. And he'd look over and act like he's smoking a cigarette. And he'd go around right. and announce all you got. It was intimidating, man. I was like, oh, man, these dudes, are, they love these guys in Minnesota. I mean, I didn't realize, you know, because we were just in the midst of that. We are just kind of playing ball. But we really had a tremendous home field advantage. There was no cheating going on. We didn't inflate it more. And But I do know that the that – the more you played in the dome, the more you got used to that that ceiling, because the outfielders really would lose the ball there. But you know, we did have the advantage. No we doubt, played, we played pretty good at home. Well, every series that I can remember ever going in there, three or four game series, which most of them are, I can remember as a visiting player, at least one time, every series, one of us would lose a ball in the in the ceiling; it would fall in. Yeah. Well, I knew that as an infielder, the ball would go up, and I never lost sight of the ball because it wasn't coming – it was going over my head so I could kind of track it. There's a lot of times I went to left field and actually ended up catching a ball out there that, you know, left fielder couldn't see. But you do that kind of stuff. You know, the infielders – it's just like a, a twilight play, really, where, you know, the infielders can't give up on that ball. No. But by the time the outfielder throws his arms out and goes, where is it, we're looking at it. Triple possible inside the Parker, you know? No doubt. I remember one time we were, um, I was with the Red Sox, and I'm playing second. We had Rudy Pemberton playing right field, and there was just a little blooper, you know, between me and him, and I'm running out full speed. And as an infielder, you're taught to run until you hear somebody call you off. So I'm running full speed, full speed, and I – reach out because I never hear anything. I'm waiting to hear something. I reach out and somehow barely catch this ball. And I look at Rudy and he's standing on the warty track. (laughs) He never saw it. If I didn't catch it, it was for sure double, maybe triple. But I mean, that was a huge advantage. And you guys also had that, that really bouncy turf, man. And you guys could Chuck Knobloch, Kirby, and Shane Mack, from what I remember, those guys could beat that ball. Big Daddy, he would like going with a chop, and he'd hit one straight into the ground. And you could, you, I mean, it was a hit every time. Yeah, you know who else is pretty good at that? You wouldn't think about it. His first year, Ken Herbeck got more infield hits. He could, he used to be able to run. Really? And he would just like with two strikes, just 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 make contact. You know, if it bounced at all. They did change. They did change that after a couple of years, though, because it was kind of unfair. You could stand there and throw the ball down and bounce it fifty feet up in the air. It was a little, little too much. Well, that's. I mean, that just kind of that's home field advantage, man. You got, yeah. you know some ballparks that, and if you got fast, a couple fast guys in, at the top of your lineup, man, they get that grass real long or they'll slant the first and third baseline to where those bunts will stay fair instead of foul. Just kind of all part of the deal. That's right. I was talking to Jim Rance about it, to, you know, uh, Sunday, you know, because everybody, a lot of people badmouth the dome, but the dome was was our stadium. I mean, it was just like any other, you know, like Yankee Stadium. I'm sure that you know the they loaded their lineup with lefties for their right field, you know, short right field, and you know, but I like playing in the dome. I knew we were going to play every day anyway, you know. Yeah. So there was there was advantages, but you know then disadvantages. They tried to the first year they had that the right the baggie out in right field that was only uh, head high about you know six seven feet high. So really, then they raised that up and then they put the plexiglass up and left and then changed the turf and you know so they made some improvements. Like I said, you know I'm sure that good or bad people have a lot of memories about that place, and now they have this ginormous football stadium there that's just way impressive so really so what's the what's the what's the twins new stadium like 
Oh, that's how the whole thing came up. When I first saw it, I was so jealous that I didn't get to play there. I mean, it's like state-of-the-art art. I mean, it's just fabulous. Everything about it. I mean, the playing surface. They actually have a, a system now where they have uh, a boiler system that runs uh, that that's plumbed underneath the infill where it actually tricks the grass into thinking it's springtime. Turn it green again. So, oh my it's really unique. You know, it's fair. I mean, the 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 distances are fair. You know, the infield's perfect. The clubhouse is just like going to a spa. And like I said, I was jealous when I saw this. I said, man. I wish I could have played here a couple of games anyway. No just, doubt. You know. But I mean, how, when does it start getting warm up there in Minnesota? It seems like, the, I know when I went to Boston, it seemed like the first six weeks of the season, it was freezing. It's awful. Boston, Chicago, Minnesota, any all those northern cities, like, I mean, you could be playing, it could warm up early in April after spring training, but then any at any given time, it could snow a foot, you know, even into the, you know, late spring. But... I played. I played in Colorado. We got snowed out one time, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm not a fan of cold weather baseball. I learned a trick. It's funny that uh, I learned a trick when I was playing with the Red Sox. The Vaseline actually it was called Abilene, uh, which like is a little. Abilene. You know, you remember that stuff? I got some in my house right now. <laughs> what do you use it for? Oh, anything. Remove really? makeup if I have makeup on. I massage. I mean, just all all kinds of stuff. Well, you know, it's not sticky. That's what's good about it. Yeah, and one of your old teammates told me about that when I was playing with the Red Sox, and his name is Shane Mack, Big Daddy, and he oh, starts yeah. putting this stuff all over his body, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Oh man, it keeps the cold out." I was like, "Really?" So here I go. He goes, "I said, show me how you do this," and he gives me the. He's put on some rubber gloves. I get rubber gloves. He goes, strip down to your sliding pants. He goes, now just rub it all over your body, your arms, your, especially your neck and your ears yeah. and your chest, everywhere that, you know, that's, um, that you can reach, rub it on your body. And then I was like, man, I'm going to feel slimy. Yeah. And he goes, no, you won't. And so I trusted him and I put it all over me and I put my uni on, you know, when it's cold, you wear sleeves and I go out there and and I don't even know that I have this stuff on, but now all of a sudden I'm not freezing. I'm not out there in the infield shivering because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I look over to Nomar to give the signs and his teeth are clattering. I'm like, oh. dang, Nomar. And that's, so I tell people all the time, whenever I'm outside in really cold weather and I was watching my kids play, uh, you know, beginning of baseball season, or if I go hunting or anything I golf, anything I do that's, I know I'm going to be out in the cold, I coat my body with Vaseline. Because I don't, I can't find any Abilene, but it really freaking works. And I, everybody I tell this story, they're like, ah, oh, I don't want to feel slimy. I was like, well, then just be cold. Yeah. But it works. Insulation. I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to try it now that, I mean, that's the first I've heard of that. I'm going to try it for the hunting. You know, what else you could do, you could put a little of that uh, on the face of your driver and cut down the span a little bit, hit one straight. Ain't that the truth. Dougie Wick. Bobby Witt's little brother, Doug Witt, taught me that trick. He used to have, he used to have oh, a great big tub of Vaseline in the in the basket in the golf cart. I was like, "What is that?" He goes, "Oh, just put it on your driver, man. You, you can't slice it." Or <laughs> it works. It works, man. It, it, Good stuff. It is. I was, it is. Uh, it's kind of funny what the stuff that you do pick up, like the old school stuff. I was having lunch the other day, and I, my mother in law is a big Cardinals fan. And she's always giving me updates on the games and stuff. And there I had ordered a burger and it came with like a, you know, you get lettuce. So like in lettuce wraps where they cut it in half, you know, it's kind of cupped like that. Yeah. yeah. Said they, used to, they used to put uh, lettuce wraps like that in ice and then they put them inside their hat. Well, on hot days, they put it inside their hat, put their hat on to keep their heads cool. <laughs> I've heard of that before. Yeah. I've heard of that before. But now you know you got the you got the hoodie you got the all that stuff that you can wear now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you're playing. No I know, no doubt. Well, I, I want to ask you. Um, I remember seeing a video it wasn't too long ago of you actually pitching in a major league baseball game. Yeah. How many times did you do that in your career? I did it three times. And were they all like blowout games? And you guys just. Well, 
the first time I pitched, it was just where bullpen was shot. We were at the end of the game, and it was like eight to three or something like that. But there was just there there were weren't too many other options, and that wasn't worth you know blowing up the rest of the bullpen for what was we were looking ahead at. And uh, you know, it's funny you stand off the side, you got a knuckleball, right? Oh yeah. Now you got to throw a curve. I'm saying, how many times we stand over there playing catch, and we're we're just we're standing flat ground dealing. You know what I'm saying? Flipping it in there and knock. Oh yeah, look at that one right there. <laughs> well, that was fine, and I knew I could go out there and throw strikes. You know, so I'm warming up, and and the first guy that I faced, I mean, I just kind of wanted to throw a strike, and he swung the bat, and I mean, I was shocked. I, 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 it stunned me. And I was like, I'm way too close to this guy. <laughs> that was my first thought. I'm used to just playing catch, working on your stuff. And then when somebody's swinging the bat, I was like, Oh my, Oh, I'm way too close to this guy. It changed everything for me. <laughs> I was afraid of that too. Cause oh, man. You, you know, as infielders, uh, I mean, I, you know, I think I had a pretty good knuckleball and I worked on it all the time. And I always had to make sure that, I was throwing it into the wind, and one day in Boston, I told Wakefield, I said, hey, wait, come here, I want to play catch with you. I made sure I was facing the wind, and I threw him about five knuckleballs, and he walked away. And I was like, what's wrong? He goes, I'm not playing catch with you. Your knuckleball's better than mine. Like, I was like, all right. I thought it was pretty good, but it's dancing all over. He can't catch it. And I'm like, go to Jimmy Williams, the manager. It's like, Jimmy, if we're ever in a blowout, can I please be the pitcher? Can, if you got to bring in somebody, can I please do that? He's like, no. Sorry, son. He goes, uh, if I put you in the game and you hurt your arm, I'm getting fired. So you're out. But I always wanted to do it, man. And and, and I saw that you've done it. But now I don't know if you've noticed. I'm not sure if you how much baseball you watch, but um, it's happened over four, almost I think close to 50 times this year, yeah. where position players have pitched in games. I mean, for us, it was maybe once or twice a year, maybe only in blowouts. But yep. yesterday's Brew, I think it was the Brewers-Dodgers game, a position player pitched on both sides, and actually a pit, position player pitched, uh, Hanser Alberto pitched for the Dodgers. Uh, when they were winning 10-1, to 1, he came in and closed the game. Wow. You don't see that much. No, it's happened like uh, 12 times this year where a position player has pitched for the team that's leading. Wow. I don't know that I ever really experienced that. but I mean, how would you feel as a visiting player? I mean, not visiting, but uh, the team that's on the losing end, that the team you're playing thinks so little of you guys that they're going to go ahead and finish the game with a position player. Would you not be insulted? I don't know. Here's how I look at that. You know what you tell – I mean, most pitchers – I think the guys are just out there concentrating on throwing strikes and look how many times the hitters get themselves out. Oh, you're um, right. But a lot guys, of times the, guys, the, guys are, you know, the managers that make that decision, I mean, obviously they're taking a chance now. The you first think they're the making guy, that decision though? Huh? You think the managers are making those decisions? Oh um, yeah. If if you're gonna bring somebody in to pitch, I mean it's the manager's decision, but you know, I don't know the extenuating circumstances why they would have to do that. Well, I think I think from what I've seen, it's uh, you know they figure that uh, one inning they're not going to give up more than nine runs. Doesn't matter. You could bring in a batting practice pitcher, and like you said, guys get themselves out. Um, but what you see, I'm sure when you came in, you weren't lobbing at 50 miles an hour like an Ephus pitch on every pitch, and that's what guys are doing today. Yeah. Well, no, I wasn't, but I also knew I wasn't going to hurt my arm because I had good mechanics. I mean, I, I had pitched before, but not at that level. Mm-hmm. I think I, I reached uh, 87 and it's kind of weird, but um, you'd be surprised how fast your mind races when you're out there as far as like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden it's like, I better just throw this one over the plate. You know? I hope he doesn't hit it back at me. Oh, no doubt. I had a, I had uh, I had a zero ERA going into my third appearance, and then I got my butt rocked my last appearance. I'm pitching in the old vet, and that mound is like standing on a mountain. <laughs> and I had trouble, a little bit of trouble throwing strikes, but I I gave up a homer, gave up a triple, I hit a guy, 
struck a guy out. That was pretty weird. But, you know, I was out there for a while and I was having a little trouble getting outs. But, you know, that's all part of it. Right. So how much do you watch baseball these days? Uh, I really don't watch a whole lot. I don't have time to watch it basically with, you know, we have babies at the house, but you know, I, I, um, I will try to listen on the, on the radio in the car and stuff like that, but I I don't watch a lot. You know, if you had more time, would you watch more? You think? I don't know. It just doesn't seem like, you know, I mean, I might try to catch the end of a game or something like that. Or if it's like a matchup where I know somebody who's managing or coaching and stuff like that, I, I like to kind of maybe see somebody that, you know, I played against, you know, coaching and, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm here in Houston and, you know, it took me a while to get over being bitter about getting fired, you know, and then, but uh, I do appreciate the teams that play, you know, instead of just going yard, the ones that, fight with two strikes and we'll hit it the other way and move the runner. And, you know, it's almost like the, they got to take it upon themselves to do that. And the teams that do that seem to win, you know, I don't, it's hard to go toe to toe and just go yard with everybody. Yeah. And it's funny. It seems like teams really focus on that type of stuff in the playoffs um, as opposed to the regular season. It seems like the style of play really changes during the playoffs. And I don't really, understand why it's like well if you guys think this is the best way to win why wouldn't you do this all the time yeah well it's just like beating the shift yeah you know they're gonna ban the shift next year i heard that i don't know how well they got to put lines out there so you can't go any farther than this i mean they're doing it in the minor leagues oh i know you know when you think about that i wish once barry broke the record with the homers Mm-hmm. I think he could have been the first guy to hit 400, maybe 500. If he just did it with two strikes and just pushed one the other way. Yeah. I bet he could have hit 500. With uh, the shot they put you know, but, and he's good enough to do that. But anyway, the argument you know, is, and I keep hearing, I hope they don't change too much of the game. I mean, I, you know, I, we talked about that earlier. It's just like when I was, Managing the skiers and thinking about moving the the mound back two feet, you just can't do that kind of stuff. You just can't change the that much of the game. Replay is a little bit different, but I mean, I think you got to have a human umpire, and you know, replay is all right. But I just think they can't tinker with it too much, you know. I mean, you hope not, but they sure are. I mean, they've experimented. Well, they experimented. I guess Major League Baseball has a deal with the Atlantic league where they can be the Guinea pigs. And they did move the mound back last year in the second half a foot. It can't make, it can't, it's way disadvantaged to the catcher. But it doesn't make sense because if you're talking about spin rate, velocity and all that kind of stuff, and you move the plate back there, how much more would a sinker ball pitcher ball drop with another foot on it? Imagine facing Kevin Brown or Scott Erickson. Oh, uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> Kevin Tappany had a pretty good sinker too. So I'm saying that kind of thing. Or like I know what let's do. If you get a if you hit a home run with two strike two outs and two strikes, that counts for two runs. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, we need a three point line in base in baseball, right? You hit it over four fifty. <laughs> yeah, over four fifty with an exit velo over one ten, you get one extra point. You get a bonus. Or you get to put a free runner on yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of changes in baseball so far, and I agree with it. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally against banning the shift because I think it's rewarding players for not making an adjustment. And you know, one of the biggest, uh, I think, one of the guys that might benefit the most is like a Joey Gallo type guy who just seems to refuse to want to make an adjustment and just keeps hitting balls. Yep. Hard, a lot of them, when he makes contact to the right side for outs. To the well, shallow right fielder who's second baseman. Oh, I know. Let's just say if they they start changing that. So now you're in a situation late in the game where, you know, the, like the winning runs on third base. I mean, are we going to still be able to bring a fifth infielder in and, you know, play a five-man infield and just split the outfielders and 
give yourself a better chance of, you know, keeping that runner there? I don't know. Are you going to disallow that? Yeah, that's a great point. I remember doing that. I mean, that's just bringing a guy. I mean, I'm surprised more teams don't do that with uh, a pitcher's hitting, but they don't hit anymore. So, you know, make the pitcher hit. Just instead of playing a, a wheel play or a straight bump play, just bring the center fielder in and have him stand on second base and hold the runner on, and then you don't have to shift. Yeah, and good luck buttoning that and make a guy see right. that. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of uh, – who knows what Mr. Manfred um, – I'm sure you know I'm not a big fan of Mr. Manfred and some of the things. And um, yeah. you know, the big thing for me, for that I see is that you know the advertising and the gambling aspect of the game that uh, you know I think is horrible for the game, and that you know the all-time hit leader in baseball. Yeah, they're allowing that now, but he can't. Is banned. The ultimate. I mean, has there ever been more of an overachiever um, than Pete Rose? And he has the all-time hit leader. We we know he screwed up with the gambling stuff, but now we're advertising uh, DraftKings and all this gambling during the game. There's actually you can you know there's things on the TV during the game asking you if you want to make place bets. But the all-time hit king is not in the Hall of Fame. Yep. It must be money related on uh, sharing the wealth. I don't know. Just imagine sitting next to the the bullpen out there and saying, "Hey, look, when you go in there to pitch, if you hit this first batter, I'm, I'm going to bet whatever on you hitting him, and then I'll uh, I'll meet you outside and I'll give you a cut of it." Yeah, what? I don't well, know. That's just like asking for trouble. Yeah, I've heard of that stuff happening overseas. Where guys would, because uh, uh, a friend of mine pitched overseas and he said he got was sitting in his hotel room and all of a sudden an envelope pushed under his door with five thousand dollars telling him to throw the game. Yeah, I mean, and I know not everybody is you know going to do what's right and not do stuff. If we're tempting putting this uh, in front of these players where it's so easy for them to gamble and maybe make a little extra money. When's it going to be the first time we know that we find out that somebody did that? Uh, hope never, but like I said, but I mean, it's they're making it too easy for these guys to do that. Well, and I know that you know that every clubhouse that you go into, it's got two rules that you can't miss on every single door of every clubhouse. No, no gambling on baseball, and you can't assault umpires. Yep, and you know. I'm sure they're still posted like that, but still, it, it's a temptation there. It is. It's like going to play in the LIV Golf League. Yep. Oh, what well. do you think about that? I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I don't know enough about it to really say, I don't blame the guys for getting guaranteed money by any means. No, I don't either. But I think there's some pretty good players that, are, you know, the PGA is going to miss by – you know, taking a hard stance. But like I said, I I don't know enough to really comment. Yeah, I and I'm a huge golf fan. I actually played golf today, not very well. But uh, um, are you giving these guys $100, $125 million just to show up? Who's going to turn that down? And I think the PGA overplayed their hand a little bit. And I think after this FedEx Cup deal, I think there's going to be a lot of guys jumping ship, and the more guys that do, the PGA is going to be put in a bind and going to have to do something. Well, PGA going to have to join up. Say so we're going to have to make sweeten the pot a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's an ugly situation, but I mean that kind of bring that makes me think about. I was thinking about this the other day about winter ball. Did you ever play winter ball? I never played winter ball. I I never really really needed to. I usually, I averaged 150 games a, a season, so I didn't really. It wasn't about the money; it's more about the rest. Right, but I had to go to, I had to go to winter ball um, after double A. I didn't have to; I chose to, but I felt like it was going to be, you know, something that was going to benefit my career. Let's see if I can play against this level of competition in Venezuela. 
maybe it'll speed me up in my track to the big leagues. And so I chose to go. I had a wife and a, a small kid, and I needed to make some extra money. And it was a great opportunity. I loved it. Played three years of winter ball. But one of the things about it that, uh, that I want to ask you about is you're limited on how many uh, imports or American-born players you can have on your team in, in Latin American countries. So in Venezuela, I think we were allowed five because we were a new team. I think we were allowed five American guys. The other teams in the league that weren't expansion teams were allowed like three. And I think in Japan, you're limited on how many guys and in Dominican and Mexico. But in America, you know, our national pastime, there's no limit. I think, you know, we have such a huge presence of Latin American players and guys from Asia and all over the world coming to play in the major leagues with no restrictions on how many you can have on each team. I think it's time to lift those restrictions everywhere. Why should we limit that? You mean limit the guys that are going south? Why limit on how many players can play on a uh, a team in the Dominican? No, yeah. Oh, I agree with that. Unless they some, you know, they're saying, well, these guys have already played a major league season, and you know, we just, you know, they're going to ask for more money. It's got to be money related. Yeah, I know you you dealt with some I'm of that saying, stuff when you were doing the independent league stuff, right? You had certain yeah. levels of players. That's correct. I mean, the American Association can only have five what's called veteran players, and that was to keep the cost down. You'd have to have you'd have to have a couple L ones, which are rookie guys, L twos and threes. But you know, in the, in the uh, Atlantic League, we didn't have a, a limit on vets, but we had a, a salary cap per player that you couldn't go over that. Kind of like a gentleman's agreement between the owners. Uh, okay, but I don't know if that, other than they're, well. Maybe the teams down there were in a position where one team was going to get all the really good major league Latin players and stock, you know, stack their lineup. Maybe that's why they wanted to limit that, not just from the gringos, but from the guys, the the native borns that are, you know, going down. They could have probably had an all star team. Oh, they do that anyway. No, I know. <laughs> they do that anyway. We're, just, we're speculating, but I think it probably has to do more with cost than anything. Yeah. I can understand that. But, I mean, playing in Venezuela, the teams in Caracas and, you know, Caracas would have Andres Galarraga, mm-hmm. Omar Vizquel. I mean, they had, you know, John Wetland played. I think Wetland played at, uh, in Lara for the Blue Jays um, team or the Yankees team. But, man, I played against some incredible players down there in Venezuela. So, oh, was yeah. Ovar from Venezuela? Who? Tovar, the guy you said just got put in the yes, the yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's right. Oh, there's good baseball down there. Oh, it was incredible, incredible. So, what the guy Tovar? What was it, what's his first name? Cesar, Cesar Tovar. And how old is he? Well, he's he's deceased now. Oh shit! But um, he was a super. He was probably one of the first super utility guys to ever play, and he uh, actually played all nine positions in one game. But you know, he was. You know, I mean, I the era back then was like the guys that I knew with the Cardinals were Cepeda, Javier, um, I'm trying to think some of the, uh, the Alou brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, in that era. They're pretty much, you know, he was, Cesar was a, uh, just a super utility guy that, you know, he made a good living doing it. Yeah. I, I, good career. I never actually saw him play, you know, in person, but, you know, they showed plenty of highlights the other day and he was just a, he was a scrappy, just baseball player, just a dirt bag. Just yeah. like the rest of them, you know? Sounds like that's what yeah. the, uh, they did in Minnesota, man. You guys just. They just bred baseball players or signed baseball players. I know that. Gamers. Well, I know I was impressed. Every year I'm impressed at just seeing the uh, the amount of service time and the guys that are they're actually in the Hall of Fame from Minnesota. And congratulations to Tony Oliva being elected into the Hall of Fame this year after how many years? And this guy was just if his knees would have stayed healthy, he might have he might have had every record there was. 
Yeah. Tony Oliva could flat out rake. One of the most beautiful swings I've ever seen. It's funny you mentioned the swing. When you when you when you were playing, you I was looking at your your numbers. You had a great career, man. Over twenty two hundred hits, three hundred sixty homers, like thirteen hundred and something ribbies, almost five hundred doubles. I don't think most people realize what a great player you were. Well, thank you. You're welcome, man. But you know what? That's not why I played. I know that. I played to win, and I love you know I love playing the game. I don't know if I told you last year, one of my teammates was, you know, we had a reunion, 87 reunion, and Dan Schatzer was a new player to the team in the bullpen and the year we won the World Series. But he told my wife, he said, this might be the greatest compliment that has ever been said about me. And she shared it with me and said, you know, Gary used to play baseball like he was playing football. Mm-hmm. You know, and that means, you know, being aggressive on defense too. You know, I just thought that was, you know, a neat way to put it. That is because I knew I wasn't hitting all the time, so I got to do something. I better do something to try to help us win this game. That's right. It doesn't matter, man. You, you know, you know, oh for four, but you break up a double play and extend the inning, and you guys take the lead. You help your team. That's win it. The I have to laugh when I when you go into the coaching part of it. You know, and I played a you know I played a long time. I saw probably a lot of almost everything you could see in baseball. Not everything, but I had to. <laughs> Especially when you're a coach and a manager, I said, and I get guys like whining about, oh man, I, I'm like oh for ten or you know, uh, uh, uh. And I did have a, a comment that I'd say when I know it's in their head, but I'd say, please don't, please don't make me play this card. I have, I have a card. I have the trump of anything that you can say. Anything, I can play this card. Well, how about you strap on a two for sixty-five? <laughs> in the big leagues, not in AAA, you know, and then come come back and cry to me, and and then the next thing you say, whatever, and here's my response: Get your head out of your ass, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Two for sixty-five, man. How'd you not get sent down? I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking over your shoulder every day. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you what happened. I was I was told that year because my first that was my second year in the big leagues. I was told that year that. I got to hit the slider down and away slider to right field. Well, I didn't do real well trying to do that. And then it wasn't until Tony Oliva got me on the field and probably right before their debate, whether to send me down or not, I was ready to go, but (laughs) he said, look, Hey, I want, I'm going to throw to you. I want you to hit everything right down, hit, hit it as hard as you can right down the third baseline. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I started feeling my hands again. I started feeling, you know what I'm saying? I started feeling that. And I was like, in my mind, I'm going, if I'm going, I'm going out, I'm going to go out the way I know how, mm-hmm. you know? And it, and it can change that fast, you know? I started swinging the bat like I could again. Even though I think I only ended up with five home runs that year. But I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to please my coaches and try to do what I thought I was supposed to do. and. You know, it's, I learned that even when I started coaching, say, hit to your strength, hit to your strength. And I'll try to put you in a lineup where, you know, that's going to be beneficial. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of guys, you know, can't really hit the ball the other way. So if you're going to pull it, pull it the best you can. Yeah. You know, just examples of different things that, you know, you learn over the years from guys that have experience. Well, there's a, a lot of guys back in those days. I know when I first came up, there was a lot of guys that, could actually pull the outside pitch. Joe Carter oh, yeah. was one of those guys. He would go out and hook an outside pitch and hit it down the left field line for a homer. Well, me too. You know what that's all about? Getting you want to get into the analytics? Huh? What, is it getting your wrists involved? No, it's about if I know a fastball is coming, I ain't going to be late. I don't care about the location. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm going to hit to my strength. If I catch one a little deep and hit it to right, well, good for that. But I'm saying if I know a fastball is coming, I'm not going to be late. Yeah. You know, it's just like if you're throwing batting practice, are guys, are they locating on you? No, they're swinging at everything. And they're hitting everything. And it's not always, the out, you know, the outside pitch the other way. It's not always like that. How about the inside pitch hitting that the other way? 
It's easier to hit the other way, isn't it? Well, of course it is. That's why I never throw Derek Jeter anything inside. Yeah, inside out that baby. I could mm-hmm. inside out it with the best of them. That was his that, name. That's when I when I think I became a good good hitter was after my first year in the big leagues. I went back to Venezuela, and I had learned how to stay inside the ball. I'd never even heard that term before. Mike Berger, one of our coaches, told me that. And I went to Venezuela, and I tried to stay inside of everything. And I hit 385 and won the batting title. Had five three-hit games in a row. Just not just hitting flares, but hitting line drives up the middle, right field, right center. I'd pull off-speed pitch. And, man, that's what I think that winter was when I really learned how to hit. And from that, when I was, you know, I'm a hit-and-run type of guy. Those guys, a lot of times, a little guy like me, know I hit the ball the other way. They're going to bust me inside. They're just doing me a favor. Yep. So I can inside out that ball. And actually, on a hit and run, it's better to not hit it super hard. Yep. I hit a bullet to right field on a hit and run. The guy might not go to third. But if I hit a 10 mm-hmm. hopper through the four hole, he can walk to third. Well, however that translated, you know, for you on the staying inside the ball, that's it's kind of a hard thing to teach where, you know, um, I would teach plate coverage and handling the bat more than I'd just say, because it turns into that chicken wing type thing, you know, where you really kind of, but you knew, you knew your limitations and you knew what your game was. Right. You know, but I see a lot of guys where that knob travels too far, you know, the barrel's going to lag behind a little bit, you know, and there's a time and a place for all that. But if every swing that you take is like that, you're going to, you're going to struggle with some, well, I'm saying it translated to you. Well, I mean, I'm 5'9", 165 pounds, and I get, you know, my nickname on uh, social media or Twitter is Judy because I was apparently a Judy hitter. But guys like me back when we played, if you weren't big and strong enough to hit it over the fence, you were told to hit line drives and ground balls. What's wrong with that? I was, well, apparently because I didn't hit a lot of home runs in my career, I'm only 344 behind you. Um, I was a Judy hitter and so not a good hitter, even though I hit 290. But you know your game. You knew your game. That's the whole deal. Yep. You know? It's the only not game I know. had. <laughs> I didn't have the option to hit, uh, you know. I, I think, honestly, if if I would have played today with the baseballs they have today that they're using and the equipment and all this technology and stuff, I might could have hit eight to ten homers a year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wouldn't just necessarily be going up there trying to move a runner because it's not important anymore. Now it's it's you know it's two three run homers. The game's totally different than when we played. Yes, I think um, a lot of the newer ballparks are are fashioned for the long ball. You know, fence is a little bit shorter, and I mean Boston was short, but man, you had to hit, you had to hit high to get it out to left. You know. Oh yeah. So. No, that's that's part of learning how to play. You know, it really is. Yeah. Because I it would never. I'm saying I was a pull hitter, and I'm used to trying to get out and drive the ball, hit it as hard as I could. Now I had a pretty flat swing, which probably compensated for that thought of staying inside the ball. I just kept the bat going through the zone, you know. And that's why I end up. I mean, there's been thousands of balls that on the outside part that I hit right to the shortstop, you know, and wish I had done it something different. But as you mature through your major league career, if you're allowed to play enough, you can make up for a lot of stuff in your mind, you know? Yeah. But you may be lacking a little physically. Like I wasn't, I wasn't real good at, you know, hitting the ball the other way, but I learned how to do it. Well, you could do it if you had a runner on second in the ninth inning in a tie ball game with no outs. Yes, I could. And you would, and it, you would certainly at least attempt to do it. And you know what else I could do that you don't see a whole lot of today? Bunt. Bunt. I was a good bunter, and I teach bunting in my academy. And if you do, if you execute the mechanics right, you can yeah. bunt every time. You know, I just I hate to see that part of the game go away. It's such a tool. I mean, it's such a weapon. I mean, really I grew up, me being a top of the order, bottom of the order kind of guy, my job is to get on base. So when I go up to home plate, if that third baseman is not going to mm-hmm. 
honor me and respect my bunting ability and he's going to be five to ten feet five i mean steps behind the bag i could bunt eight out of ten times for him yes, why could. would i not do that uh, you should I had to do that as a fielder at third base. I, I respected anybody that I thought could bunt. They, you could hit it by me, but you're not going to bunt on me. Yeah. You know, Lofton and, um, I mean, there's a, quite a few good bunters, you know, that had a lot of speed. And I, I'd have to take that part away from them because I knew they were looking. I knew they were looking at me exactly where I was playing. And they'd still try to bunt even though I was in and, and do it a few times. But, you know, that's that's part of it. I mean, I, I still think it's a great play. I, I, you know, I, I tried to bring this up. You're facing a guy like Roger Clemens, and you know it's going to be a low scoring game. You know it is. Mm-hmm. I would, I, one of my ideas was, man, you get a guy on first base. We need to get this guy in the scoring position like now. You know, and and the argument against it was, you know, the guys I was talking to said, well, you don't want to give you, you know, you don't want to just give him an out. You know, I said, well, he's going to get plenty of outs. <laughs> Let's try to get somebody in scoring position early in the game and see if we can, you know, manufacture something. Because you didn't manufacture a whole, you didn't, you didn't do a lot of scoring against Roger Clemens. So I'm saying, no. And why not? Huh? I mean, and somebody who's talent, who works at it, who's a good drag butter, which I consider myself, I was pretty good at it. It was easier for me to drag bunt than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So why not? Worst case scenario, we have an out know. and a runner at second. Best That's case right. scenario, we got first and second, no outs. Well, I don't care. I, I'm a one time. I was four. I was see ninety six and ninety seven. I was with the Cardinals, you know, and I was like pushing forty, you know, and and uh, I was leading off the ninth inning against the Astros in the in the Astrodome, and facing Billy Wagner, and I was like, I can't. I I am. He was dealing, you know. It's just like you know what. I freaking dropped a bunt down on this guy, shocked the entire stadium and chugged it out. I beat it out to first, you know, but I got the bunt down. Of course, I got pinch ran for right there, but we ended up winning the game because I had a leadoff bunt hit. I mean, I I wasn't going to take him yard right then. He was throwing too good. Right. So I said, you know what? I'm going to try to do, I'm going to do something different right here. And, you know, it's one of those things that I'll always remember. And he will too. It's like, he might call me, you know, it was. He said, can't believe you did that. Well, I don't know. You just struck me out three or four t- every time I face you. So, about I do something different this time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Heck yeah, man! You gotta do what you gotta do. You know? You know? Sometimes those bunt hits, man, get you on a little roll. Get that confidence. Well, what's a, yeah, you gotta you gotta one run lead. What's the worst thing that can happen for a pitcher? You walk the leadoff guy. You know? Yeah. Same thing with the bunt hit. You know, something like that. Yeah. So I mean. I was going to ask you this earlier. Did you ever think about or did you ever talk to your hitting coaches during your career? Did they ever mention to you anything about your swing? We need to work on your swing, change your swing. You know, we need you to hit more fly balls. We need you to hit less fly balls. Did they ever mention your swing? Because nobody ever did to me. Uh, I'd have to say me neither. No, not really. And and I think we were kind of looking for some of that stuff. But I will tell you what I used when I did hitting coach duties and as a manager, I realized I'll use Tony Oliva as, as an example again. He may not have been a real good mechanical coach as far as like, you know, looking at your hand position and your stance and, you know, try to prevent you from pulling out or whatever. But what he would do is he would tell you how he hit. And it made a lot of sense. And I started doing this at the end of my career. It's like, you go, hey, I get a guy who's throwing really hard. I get a big old bat. I step, I get back off of the plate and I try to hit it everything the other way. So I get a guy throwing a lot of junk and a lot of slow stuff. I say, I get a little bitty bat. I stand right on top of the plate and I try to pull at everything. And that made sense to me. And I started doing that against lefties that, you know, they're in hard, out soft spinning it, change up. I went to a smaller bat. It gave me a little bit more back control and a little more time. And it really made sense and it worked, you know. But at the time, I was like, could you just tell me what, you know, am I uppercutting? Am I late? You know, 
and there wasn't a lot of that, like you said. There wasn't a lot of hitting coaches that would tell you, you know, hey, you know, or be swing doctors, you know what I mean? Well, they're everywhere now, the swing doctors. It's all about uh, about building that perfect swing in baseball, and I hate it because I don't think it's important because uh, I played with a lot of guys who had beautiful swings that couldn't hit. Yep, or couldn't hit in a certain situation. Yeah, and, and another thing um, that I hear a lot about is that it's too hard for these guys nowadays to hit the ball the other way um, because the pitching is just too good, and it's a waste of time for them to shorten up and try and drive the ball the other way. These pitchers are just too good and too dominant and that you can't really control where you hit the ball. And that is the biggest joke to me because I knew that I could hit the ball certain areas. Not every time, but I knew that I could direct the ball to certain places a high percentage of the time if I was trying to do that. Yeah, that's if they're thinking that. I like, I like to play, you know, in my prime again at someone – Give me some of that spin rate, that straight spin rate. <laughs> yeah. Give me some of that. Yeah. So you know, I tell people this too, G-Man. I was like, you don't understand. Major league hitters can time a speeding bullet. So all this stuff about that. velocity that nobody threw as hard when we played as they do today. I was like, the guys that came in and then threw 95 to 100 straight as a string, we crushed those dudes. Almost all wait for those dudes to come in. It's those guys like Kevin Tappany throwing 91-mile-an-hour bowling balls. And Scott Erickson, the ball's dropping a foot, or Kevin Brown. Those are the guys I didn't want to face. I'm telling you, I, I agree. I totally agree with that. I just – so I'm saying, if they want to move that pitcher's bound back, those guys are going to make a comeback because that ball's going to drop that last foot Yeah, because of gravity. Yeah. You know, it's just – I don't know how many computers have stood in the batter's box and, and actually got to experience that that same thing, you know. I don't think this computer I'm sitting in front of right here has ever stood in there, held a bat or anything like that, but I have, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. I said, if, you, if, if I know a fastball is coming, I'm not going to be late. No. And, and I'm not going to be late. One last thing. I'm not keeping you much longer. I know you're tired. Oh, good. Get some rest. One last thing. Um that is not talked about very much anymore um, or at all is the fear factor. Now, you know, I don't want to admit that there were a few times that I stepped up a home plate where I was actually scared or nervous, but there were. Facing Randy Johnson, I was a little bit nervous. And facing Rob Dibble in Chicago after he threw two pitches behind Dean Palmer in the rain at 100 and I was up next, I was a little nervous. I wasn't really excited about having to go hit. My main objective was to not get hit. But they don't talk about um, all these hitting guys talking about how to hit and the way to do it. They don't understand that as a professional baseball player, when you're facing a guy who throws really, really hard, it might be a little wild, there's a little bit of fear, a little bit of uh, not wanting to get hit that they don't even realize is part of the deal. Well, you know why? Part of that is is that just like sliding into second base and take, turn, taking out a double play, they've they've protected that part. I'm I'm wondering how Bob Gibson will react. That's a big part of his game is intimidation and that fear factor. Yep. And you talk to guys that faced him and they've got some chin music and it changed the entire bat. So I don't think I think they've kind of eliminated that by saying you can't even brush a guy back. You don't see a lot of it. And, you know, it's always like an accident. I remember that a long time ago when guys, you know, you couldn't tell if they're throwing at you, if they hit you or whatever, if they tried to do it or not. You know, now guys are like apologizing to the hitter and, you know, a lot of that stuff. And you who, just are the guys that you, who are some of the guys that, that you faced uh, during your career that were the, known to be the guys that would give you the bow tie or come up and in on you that you had to? Especially if you're uh, having a good that? game against a guy, he might next day be he might throw one up at your head. Well, um, Eckersley did that a couple times to me. Um, Goose Gossage would do it. Uh, Jack Morris would do it. 
you know, anybody that had any kind of velocity, they, you know, they're not going to let you dig in there. You know, you can start it or not, but uh, there's a lot of times that, you know, I got some chick, Bruce Keeson, you know, guys that threw hard that they actually could, they could make it look like an accident hitting you. Right. Uh, you know, but you knew that, you know, how about this? I got a name for it, Danny Darwin. Oh, yeah, Dr. Death. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I had a bat against him. I fouled off about five or six pitches. I was on everything he threw, and I promise you, when it went full, he just said, oh, screw this, and he just drilled me. I know he did. Did he tell you he was sorry? Yeah. Nolan Ryan, first time I faced him, first time I ever faced him, spring training, I was a rookie, spring training. I wasn't even thinking like this, never did think like that. And it's, you know, I'm just playing the game, and he throws a fastball right down the middle, and I freaking yarded it, and it went foul right at the end. I didn't watch it. I ran to first. I wasn't doing it. I got back in the batter's box, and the next pitch hit me right between my shoulder blades. I wasn't even thinking that he was going to hit me. I said, I didn't do anything wrong. I just he threw one right down the middle. But I've tried to confront him about it a couple times down here in Texas. He won't answer me. I know he drilled me. You know, he hit you on purpose. I said, well, I, I didn't really know it at the time, but maybe he did, but. Oh, he did. Sure did. Huh? Oh, I know he did now, but it's like, I didn't even think like that. No, you know? that's He was time, one of those man. guys, too. He would do it. But that's the essence of the game. Yeah. That's the essence. You know, it's like, if not, why don't you just tell them what's coming, you know? Yeah. And guys, you know, there's been a lot of guys. And there's been some serious injuries on accident by guys coming up and in. But that was a big part of the game, pitching up and in. Yeah, you had to learn how to get out of the freaking way. Yeah, you know, but they've kind of eliminated a lot of the things that cause fear. Yeah, take out slides at second, home. Oh, man, I was teasing. I I tease Rod Carew every year when I see him at the Hall of Fame. I said, you know, I'm not going to really call you a dirty player, but you slid into second base as hard as anybody I've ever seen slide into second base with one intention. He's not going to turn this double play. Yeah. You know, and he was a pro. He wasn't a dirty player, but he played hard. Well, that, we that, was, that was expected, G-Man. You know that. It was. If, if it's a one-hopper and there's nothing you can do, fine. Um, but if you didn't go in hard, somebody's going to be talking to you when you came back to that yeah. dugout. That was just part of the game, just like running over the catcher. If he's standing right in front of the plate, you know. And there's been some injuries. I mean, I injured myself running into the catcher one time, had my chin on the wrong side, and waffled myself. <laughs> and you're, still, you're still all right and here to talk about it. Isn't that crazy? That's right. Beautiful stuff. We could go on and on and on and on and on. No doubt, man. You know, and that's what my objective for starting this academy and working with this, what I call them, renewable uh, natural resource with all these youngsters, you know, I want them to learn, you know, I want them to learn the game and I want to teach them and share the stories and then go out and watch them and say, wasn't that, you know, that's fun. You know what fun, you know what having fun playing baseball is? What's that? Being able to succeed in between the lines, whether it's catching a ground ball and making the play or hitting, being able to do the stuff under pressure, you know, and perform. That's what, I mean, that's what I, I think it is anyway. It's not necessarily winning. It's just like, I like playing baseball and, you know, I want him to hit the ball to me so I can, I can uh, practice my skills. You know what I'm saying? Even in game situation, that's what's fun. Well, on social media, it's not fun anymore unless somebody's flipping their bat or pounding their chest or doing the gritty when they get home. So every time I criticize that stuff, it's like, get off my lawn, old man. Uh, let the kids have fun. I was like, right. it's always fun for me to play my whole life. And I never did that one time. No, it's a respect issue. It's like, you know, the bat flip is, you just got to deal with it as a, as a coach or manager nowadays. It's just like, if you flip that bat up there and it hits somebody, you're going to have a problem. It's like, I would love to have seen somebody do that with Bob Gibson on the mound. Let's see what happened. <laughs> either to the next hitter or when his slot came back up again, you know, it's just, I don't know. Nah, I know what you mean, man. Well, and and you know what? I think there are a lot of good young 
baseball players in the major leagues, a lot of good players. They're athletes, probably better physically trained than we ever were. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. My grandson's watching this stuff. And I say, Clayton, you're watching, you're seeing the wrong stuff. You're seeing that you're focusing on the wrong stuff. It's that's not about the bat flip. It's not about, you know, the showmanship. It's about playing the game hard between the lines, you know, competing entertainment though. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm not going to keep you any longer. It's been awesome. I appreciate you taking the time today with your travel schedule. Uh, uh, Frank Julino will not forgive me if I don't mention uh, my buddy uh, at Not Guy Eddie right. on Twitter who um, wanted to know, said he is waiting for you to get on Twitter. Um, oh, no. This this guy loves you, and you know, I love you, and all our – I know all the, all the uh, people that follow me love you, and if you ever decide to get on there, we'll welcome you. If not, I get it. We'll be fighting fight for our game. Tell me, tell me how to do it. Tell me how to do it first. Yeah, yeah. God, I have to it. tell me, man. I'll have to ask them. <laughs> That's right. Look, I'll be Gaetti on not Gaetti anytime. I, I like, I love the game. I mean, I love talking about the game and sharing stories and you know all that kind of stuff. There's so much to talk about. There's you know so much history and news and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's a great game. Yeah, we got to get it back a little bit closer to what it was like when we played and away oh. from where it's headed. So hopefully that I'm trying. Happen. That's why that's why I started the Gaiety Sports Academy in Centralia, Illinois. <laughs> there you go. And I'm trying bring to do it, all my stuff on, on social media, trying to get, uh, you know, encourage kids to play baseball and get back to playing in, you know, pickup games and wiffle yep. ball and stuff. And you got to just keep wiffle fighting, ball. man. Wiffle ball is one of the greatest things you can do if you if you like playing bit. Wiffle ball is one of the best games ever. It's how I learned how to hit. I'm telling you. I'm you telling hit you. That friggin' ball moving the way it moves, you can with that little yellow bat, you can yep. you'll learn how to hit. Yep. You're exactly right. Exactly. Well, let's promote it. We'll we will, keep trucking. We will, and I appreciate you being on here. I got to um, sign off. Remember, hang on for a minute when we get done, so we can send this out. Appreciate it. We're gonna, we got to get together. I got to get down to Sugarland and let's play some golf. Play some golf, or catch a fish, or do something hunting. If you got a something comes up where you think about me, whatever, I'll be. I'm, I'm glad to get on here and talk baseball anytime or whatever it is. Well, I appreciate it, G Man, and uh, um, hang on for one second. When we get done. I'm gonna sign off, and this is. My pleasure to have Gary Gaetti, my old teammate, my hitting coach for two and a half weeks at the end of my career, and just all-around great guy and one hell of a baseball player. So, I appreciate that, Jeff. I do. You're I welcome, really do. man. Appreciate and, uh, you, too. Yeah. Okay. Jeff Fry signing off with the She Gone Podcast. No. She Gone. <laughs>